Well, our sermon passage this morning is uh, we're continuing our series in the book of Mark. We just studied it a few week, or started it a few weeks ago, rather. We are in uh, this morning, Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there, that's where we're going to be reading today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it's printed on the back side of your bulletin. So Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. And I'll ask, out of respect for the word of God, that you stand this morning. Mark writes, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This ends the reading of God to words you may be seated. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word that you give us, that we might know you rightly, that we might know your will especially that we might know Jesus Christ by faith, that we might have salvation and life in him. We pray that you might give us by your spirit eyes to see and ears to hear great things from your word. For it's in Christ's name and for his glory that we pray. Amen. Well, in these verses that some of you maybe have grown up being very familiar with them, if you're raised in a Bible-believing church, maybe you've heard these stories since you were little in Sunday school or in, in Awana, or some such program as that, uh, you're familiar possibly with the calling of Christ's first disciples. That's what this text is telling us about. It's included, some some account like this is included in all four of the gospel accounts that we we have. Uh, This is the part of of the gospel of Mark in particular, but all of them really, where, where the account, the narrative of Christ's earthly ministry goes from the singular, that is, he, as we see in verse 16 when it says that he saw Simon and Andrew, after this passage, it's going to go to they, for the most part. They, verse 21, they went into Capernaum. Jesus is no longer walking around by himself. He's no longer ministering by himself. It'll get back to the singular when it gets to the cross. Christ alone is our Redeemer. But this is where the gospel turns from just Jesus himself to Jesus taking along people, the disciples, the future apostles, with him to prepare them for the work of the kingdom. We're going to look hopefully at three things this morning. There may be more that we could see from our text, but at least three things. First, we're going to look at the nature of the call. What did Jesus call those fishermen to do? The second thing we're going to see is how did they respond? The response to the call. And third, the power of that call. So the the nature of the call, the response to that call, and the power of the call. The first thing there in our passage is in verse 17, and that's the nature of the call. What does Jesus tell them to do in verse 17? He says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. The words follow me there, they're found at least 13 times in the Gospels on the lips of of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. You could say that in a sense, 
It's a summary of his message to the lost. We've also seen a, a previously in, in, verse, uh, in verse 15, another summary of his message, a more broad summary. Repent and believe in the gospel. Well, here he says, follow me. And in a lot of ways, even just by the repetition of it that Jesus says throughout the gospels, we see that it's, in a sense, a summary of his message. Note, note the kind of call that Jesus issues to sinners here, to these fishermen. Follow me. That's not just a call that he issued to the apostles. I think sometimes we get, we get confused about that and we think, well, that was just for them. You know, we, we sometimes, are, sometimes we're even taught that there are levels of Christianity. Maybe you've been taught that for years. I was for a long time. That there's believers and then there's disciples. There's no such distinction found in the Word of God. You're either a disciple or you're not. You're either a Christian or you're not. There's no steps in Christ's kingdom. A Christian is, as we're going to see, a disciple. That's still Jesus' call to sinners in our day as well. It wasn't a Bible times thing. It wasn't just a first century thing. He still calls sinners of all kinds today to follow him, to forsake all and follow him. We are called to believe in Christ but a believer will be also a follower of Christ. The call to follow the Lord is not something reserved merely for those who are going to be called to full-time Christian ministry or service, uh, such as the apostles. The call to follow Christ is for everyone who would call themselves a Christian. There is no such thing as a believer in Christ who is then not also a follower of Christ. Believers follow and only followers actually, when push comes to shove, believe. In his book, Christ's Call to Discipleship, James Boyce writes this, There is a fatal defect in the life of Christ's church in the 20th century. This book was written 30 years ago. A lack of true discipleship. Discipleship means forsaking everything to follow Christ. But for many of today's supposed Christians, perhaps the majority... It is the case that while there is much talk about Christ and even much furious activity, there is actually very little following of Christ himself. And that means in some circles there is very little genuine Christianity. Many who fervently call him Lord, Lord are not Christians. Matthew 7, 21. That's a pretty sobering statement, isn't it? It's, a pretty, it's kind of hard to hear, you know, but I think if we are honest with ourselves and, and look at, at uh, what he's talking about, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a right, it's a true observation. And think about this. Think about this was written in 1986, 30 years ago. 30 years ago, I, I dare say in some ways, things looked better. In a lot of ways they looked better in my, in my opinion. I think in some ways these words are even more true today than they were way back then when Dr. Boyce wrote those, those words. So you and I have to remember that the Lord Jesus Christ commanded his church in the Great Commission. What, is the, what does the Great Commission tell us to do? Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. We are to, quote, make what? Disciples of all the nations. Is, is Jesus saying, you know, get the gospel out, get some people to make decisions and walk an aisle or two, and then if you, you know, also make, dis, make disciples on top of that. Is he casting some kind of a two-step, two-tier uh, Christianity or gospel, no. 
Uh, he tells us to make disciples of all the nations. That's what the gospel is about. If that's not clear enough, he tells us that uh, the way to make disciples, what is, how does he describe or define the act of making disciples? It's not just baptizing them, Matthew 28:19, although it includes baptizing them, right? It, it includes not just teaching them in general. He doesn't just say baptize them and teach them. What does it say? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's what a disciple does. That's what a disciple learns. Are you following Jesus Christ? It's a question only you and the Lord uh, can really answer. Are you following Christ? If not, you may be a lot of things. If you're not following Christ, you may be a lot of things, but a Christian is not one of them. If I can say so this morning with all due respect. For the, the, the call to follow Christ is still the message of Christ in our day. Jesus still calls sinners, all sinners, to follow him. Have you heard the call to follow Jesus Christ? Now, you haven't heard the voice outwardly of Jesus Christ, right? We aren't, we aren't in that boat all those centuries ago as, as Peter and Andrew were and James and John were. But have you heard his call to follow him in the scripture? And are you following him at John Chapter 10, verses 27 to 28 there, Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Very comforting words, aren't they? What does he say there? His sheep do what? Hear his voice. Where do they hear his voice? In the scripture, where the gospel, when the gospel is preached in church or elsewhere, they hear his voice calling to them when the gospel is preached, when the gospel of Christ is preached. They still hear his voice calling him, calling them, and they still follow him. Verse 27, and he gives to them eternal life. So if you're not following him, it shows that you really haven't heard his voice, at least not yet at this point. Now I have to be clear here. You're not saved by works. Not even a little bit. You're not saved mostly by Jesus and a little bit by works. Jesus doesn't do 99% of the saving and then we do 1%. Jesus doesn't help those who help themselves. It's not what the gospel is. The gospel isn't you can do it and we can help. The gospel isn't anything of the sort. You aren't saved by works. You are not saved by following Christ. Let that one sink in for a minute. You're not saved by your following of Christ. Not even a little bit. No, you are saved, if you are saved at all, you're saved by Christ himself. Period, exclamation point. You're saved by his grace alone. What's grace? It's undeserved, unmerited favor and love. Drawn out of God by nothing in us at all. It's all out of God himself. His own love, his own grace for his own glory and for his own reasons. You're saved through faith alone in Christ alone. Peter and James and John and Andrew and every other Christian in the history of the world uh, were saved by faith in Christ alone. Not by their works, not by their following, not by their forsaking all. The good shepherd saves his sheep. How does the good shepherd save his sheep? He lays down his life for us. Is what the scripture says in John chapter 10 verse 11. 
But those he saves, without exception, follow him. His sheep, the ones he lays his life down for, hear his voice and they follow him. That's what Jesus himself tells us. And notice what else Jesus says when he calls Simon and Andrew in verse 17. Follow me and I will do what? I will make you become fishers of men. Technically, he doesn't say, follow me and be fishers of men. That's how I read the text. Maybe that's how you kind of read it when you're reading it in your head. Technically, he's not saying that. He says, follow me, and when you follow me, what's going to happen? What am I going to do, Jesus says? I will make you become fishers of men. That's what's going to be the result of following him. That's what the result of following him is going to look like. So following leads to fishing. Following Christ leads to fishing for men like Christ. And why is that? Why, why can Jesus say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men? Why does the one follow after the other? Think about it for a second. What do you see Jesus doing in our passage? He's fishing for these men. And he catches them, doesn't he? And he's saying, follow me, you're going to do what I do. And what, what am I doing right now with you? I'm fishing for you. I'm, I'm, I'm saving you. I'm coming to you and calling them. That's what he was doing. He's fishing for them and he saves them. And he was fishing for sinners because Jesus is the ultimate fisher of men. And so those who follow him will in some regard become likewise fishers of men. He will make us likewise to become fishers of men. Those who follow Christ are following the ultimate fisher of men. And so he makes his people, his redeemed people in turn, to become fishers of men in some way as well. So if you're following Jesus Christ, if you're trusting in him, you will be learning to walk as Jesus walked more and more. You'll be learning to do what Jesus did and do what he even commanded. And he certainly came to seek and save that which was lost, Luke 19.10. Now what that doesn't mean it doesn't mean that, that all believers, or even most of us, will be necessarily gifted in evangelism. Most of us probably aren't, frankly, gifted in evangelism. It doesn't mean that we're all called to full-time missionary service, so-called. But it does mean that all of us who call on the name of Christ and follow him are called to play a part in some way in the work of the gospel. In some way, whether you're gifted at it or not, we're called at it to do it in some way, to play a part. You might not be especially gifted at evangelism. Maybe you're sitting here and thinking, oh, you know, this is the one subject that, you know, if there's two subjects that, that incur guilt upon all of us when we hear them, in my opinion, there's two of them, maybe three, but two, prayer and evangelism, right? The two most the two topics most quick to, to, to bring up feelings of guilt in almost any believer, I think, are those two things. So thanks for bringing it up, Pastor Ray. Um, you know, you, we might not be very gifted in evangelism. Uh, I don't believe I am. I believe I'm called to it. I don't know that I'm especially good at it. Maybe you're not either, but you are called to love the lost. We're all called to care about and love the lost. Even you, as weak as you may be, can be used by a mighty Savior. If he used fishermen, he can use you. 
That's part of the point. I, I think, we, you know, if you know your Bible for a long time, if you're raised in the church, that's a good thing. But sometimes familiarity with these texts kind of makes them lose a little bit of that punch. And we read this text and think, well, of course. We almost forget and gloss over they were fishermen. We think, well, they were fishermen. But really they were road scholars. They were supermen. They were, you know, Jesus just hadn't polished that diamond yet. Now, Jesus really was looking for diamonds in the rough, and he knew where to look. He knew where the fish were. That's not the story at all. And the apostles, remember, Mark is told from the perspective of whom? Peter. Really, in a sense, Mark is Peter's gospel. Mark got his information from Peter for the most part. And so Peter, in a sense, you could say, is telling us, you know, Apostle Peter is saying, I was a fisherman. I'm, I'm an, I was nobody, and Jesus called me out of that boat and did everything he did through me. Not because, I'm, not because he was gifted, not because he was talented, not because he was special. He was none of those things. And yet Jesus is the one who's mighty to save. He is the one who can use weak people, even like us. And that brings us to the second point from our text, and that's their response to that call. Their response to the call of Christ. How did Simon and Andrew, and for that matter James and John, respond when Jesus called them to follow him? Verse 18, Mark writes, it's very short and clipped to the point. He says, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. You know, picture the scene. They're, they're, they're in the middle of their work day. Jesus doesn't wait for 5 o'clock or whatever time fishermen pulled the boats in and, and dragged the nets in. He sees them. He calls to them. They drop everything they're doing. And they follow him. Just like that. Sounds kind of incredible, doesn't it? If you think about it, it's like, who does that? Who in the world would do that? Who wouldn't say, who are you again? And why are you, you know, who wouldn't say, you know, I'm in the middle of work right now. Uh, you know, let's look at my calendar and I'll make an appointment for you. Um, no, they, he says, come and they do exactly what he said. They dropped everything and followed Christ just like that. He commanded and they obeyed. He called and they came and followed. What about James and John, the sons of, of Zebedee? Verse 20, Mark says this similarly. And immediately he called them. And they did what? They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. At least they left him with help. Dad wasn't stuck doing all the work. you know. But they didn't just leave their nets. They didn't just leave their boat. They even left their father behind. If he wanted to follow, he could do the same thing, couldn't he? And the word left, uh, it's, it, it can also be translated forsook. They left it behind. They turned their backs on it. Fish, fishing wasn't sinful. Jesus didn't call them to repent of fishing. Nothing wrong with fishing unless it gets you in the way of working. right? Uh, for them, fishing was working. And Jesus called them away from it. You know, This time, all we're told, again, is that they left their father in the boat. But they also dropped everything and followed Christ just like that. It, it's almost as if Mark... You know, remember Mark, if you've been with us at all for these studies, Mark's kind of the Reader's Digest gospel. He cuts away all kinds of detail and just gets right to the point. He cuts through, he doesn't even go into a lot of the teachings of Christ. Remember, he, he boils everything down. It's, it's the gospel of action. Immediately this happened, and immediately that happened. But he takes the time 
to point out that not once, but twice, Jesus calls and people drop whatever they're doing and they follow him. It's as if he's trying to make a point. You know, one, one time maybe you could believe. You know, one, one time was a lucky shot. First, beginner's luck, whatever you want to call it. Jesus calls, and the first two guys, they don't know any better. They're just dumb fishermen, and they, follow, they drop what they're doing, and they follow him. Maybe he was a powerful personality. The second time, there's no coincidence. Jesus shows up, Jesus calls, and everybody drops what they're doing when he calls and follows him. Notice the kind of people that the Lord Jesus Christ chooses to save and chooses to use in the building of his kingdom. I don't think we're supposed to overlook that, that twice, it's not just because it's accurate historically, that they were fishermen and so he puts it in the text. I think we're meant to, to realize and to think about what kind of people that he chose. He's in Galilee, he's kind of in the sticks. You know, he's not in the big city, not in Jerusalem. He's out in the sticks uh, where he just happens, right, to be passing along the, the Sea of Galilee, verse 16, when he sees Simon and his brother Andrew, and it says again in verse 16, they were fishermen. And then he points out that James and John, so four, the first four disciples, uh, you know, so just, well, he just happened to be in Galilee. It was the big trade in that part of the, of the, of the country. Uh, but the first four disciples that he used, in a sense, the foundation of the church, after himself, of course, were fishermen. Plain old, everyday, ordinary lunch bucket working with their hands, getting their hands dirty kind of people. Fishermen. Now, no disrespect toward fishermen at all. Uh, just pointing out that there's nothing outwardly impressive about being a fisherman. It's manual labor. It's hard work. It's, what's that show on TV, Dirty Jobs? And it's a dirty job and somebody had to do it. Uh, it is, uh, it's certainly honest work. It's legitimate. It's a God-honoring calling. It is a lawful and acceptable way to provide for one's family. But of all people that he could have picked, that's who Jesus chose. Jesus chose them. And again, think about this. He doesn't just choose to save them. If that was all it was, that would be enough. We'd be impressed enough, I think. If Jesus just said, come follow me because you should follow me, and they followed him, that'd be great. If all he did was, was call them and save them and change their lives... That would be more than enough. But he chose them not just to save them, but to make them fishers of men. To make them the men who took the gospel all over the world in the first century. The gospel exploded all over the, all over the, the nations in the book of Acts, and he used them for a lot of that. J.C. Ryle writes this. He writes, It is clear from these words that the first followers of our Lord were not the great of this world. They were men who had neither riches, nor rank, nor power. But the kingdom of Christ is not dependent on such things as these. His cause advances in the world not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, Zechariah 4, 6. The words of St. Paul will always be found true. Not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God, God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 27. The church, here it is, the church 
which began with a few fishermen uh, and yet overspread half the world must have been founded by God. Isn't that the point? That's the point that you and I, when you read the Gospels, when you read the book of Acts, you know, we've said it a million times, but we call the book of Acts what? The Acts of the Apostles. And it is to a, to a point. They're the human actors that we see in the book. But when you read the, the Gospels, when you read especially the book of Acts, your first reaction to the spread of the Gospel all over the world at the time should be, no way that happens. No way Peter, this dumb fisherman, stands up on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 men plus women and children flock to Christ by faith. There's no way the gospel goes out like wildfire all over the ancient Near East and beyond within 30 years with no internet, no phone, no airplanes, no nothing. No big campaigns, no big budget, anything. Just a bunch of dumb hicks going around with the gospel And the gospel goes everywhere. What does it say in the book of Acts? The world was what? Turned upside down. Did those men turn that world upside down? I mean, humanly speaking, it sure looked like it. But no, God uses even fishermen to take the gospel all over the world. He uses people just like us to do great things. Not because we're powerful, because we're not. Not because we're talented, because we're not. Because he's God. He can do whatever he wants with whomever he wants. The power of the gospel, the power that has built and continues to build the church of God is God himself. The risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ is still building his church. And it's because of that one fact that the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. If you and I are building the church, the gates of hell will do just fine. We, we didn't build this. It's only because the Lord Jesus Christ, who is reigning at the right hand of the Father, is building his church. That's why the gates of hell have no hope of prevailing against the church. As weak as we look, and we are, we are but we serve a mighty and risen Savior. Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the enemies of the gospel describe the apostles as this, quote, uneducated common men. You kind of get the feeling from reading that text that they just couldn't get over it. They were the mighty. They were the important. They were the educated. They, were, they had everything at their disposal. And these dumb hicks, who are these guys? What in the world is going on here? How, why do we have to put up with this? How are people following these guys? Look at them. They're common, uneducated, common men. What set them apart? What did the enemies of the gospel actually say and surmise that the difference must have been in those uneducated common men. They themselves said they had been with Jesus. The enemies of the gospel said that. There's only one common denominator. They weren't all fishermen. He says these, these uneducated common men were with an uncommon Christ. They had spent time with Jesus himself. Our mighty God and Savior uses weak, common people. He seems to take special delight in doing so. He does it all through the scripture, really. We, we, we think of the people in the Bible as supermen. We think of the disciples. They were the, the disciples. They were the apostles. We think of Moses. Moses may have been a very talented, very gifted man. Uh, and yet when God called him to go to Pharaoh, what do you see Moses doing? 
Oh, no, 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 you got the wrong guy. Uh, I can't, I, I don't speak good. And so what does God do? Well, I, I'll, send your, I'll send Aaron with you. I got that covered. I can handle this. Who made your mouth? Right? Who made your mouth? I know what I'm doing. You know, I, I knew you couldn't talk when I first picked you. Um, you think of, of King David. You think of David and you think, wow, look at all the wars and battles he, he won. Well, why did he win those battles? Because he was such a good, he was special ops. He was, you know, Jerusalem special ops. No, he wasn't, he may have become talented. Why did he kill, how did he kill Goliath? Dumb luck? Lucky shot? Really a lot of training in the, you know, remember when he goes to Saul, what did he say? I've been working at this, I'm paraphrasing, I've been working at this my whole life. I'm a shepherd. You know what shepherds do? We grab lions by the beard and we kill them. We see a bear, we kill it. That guy's no different than that. Let me add him. But what did, what did David really say? Uh, he, he comes at him in the name of the Lord. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine to withstand the armies of God? It was an unfair fight. Goliath never stood a chance, not because David was anything special, but because God could do all things through anyone. God uses weak people just like us, common people just like you, and me, and takes delight in doing so. Well, the third thing, the third and final thing in our passage is the power of the call of Christ. What can possibly explain the response of those four fishermen? Really nothing humanly uh, reasonable can be used as an explanation for it. Uh, What explains their response of dropping everything and following Christ? Was Jesus some Svengali? Was he some powerful, manipulative uh, you know, person? Hypnotized them? Uh, no. Um, did. They barely knew Jesus at all. And yet when he calls them to drop everything and follow him, they drop everything and follow him. Just like that. They dropped everything. Who, again, who does that? No one does that. I think sometimes we, we think, I know I grew up thinking this, well, in Bible times, people just did that. You know, some rabbi, some new rabbi came to town, some teacher comes to town, and people just, that would, you know, like as if Zebedee was in the boat and just said, oh, there they go again. You know, a year ago, some other guy came by, told him to follow him, and oh, here they go again. They'll be back. Don't worry. They'll be back in the boat with me in about a year. They'll get tired of following that guy in the middle of nowhere and eating, you know, starving and things. No, it, it should amaze us. This, them, doing what they did should shock you. It should shock me. It should shock us when we read it. Uh, we, you know, sometimes we've read this story so many times, or these kinds of things in the Bible, again, that it kind of loses its punch. It loses the impact it ought to have. Familiarity has a way of, of doing that, but we should be amazed. We should ask, how is such a thing possible? What possible explanation can there be for these men forsaking everything and following somebody they practically just met. They had met met him before this, but they certainly didn't know him. You know, it's nothing less than the power of Almighty God himself that explains it. The call here of these disciples, these fishermen, was not just the outward call, the audible voice of Christ telling them to follow him, but it was also accompanied by the inward call, the powerful call, the effectual call of the Son of God. You know, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, just as he did a creation back at the very beginning, what did he do? 
He powerfully spoke all things into existence. The scripture says he upholds all things. He keeps things going. keeps creation existing even at this very moment by the power of his word or by his powerful word. Well, even now, his words, the words of the Son of God, produce what they command. They affect what they command when he wills it to do so. This is what the many theologians call the effectual calling. If you've never heard that phrase before, you're not alone. Uh, but the effectual calling, our shorter catechism gives the definition of that. Question 31 says, what is effectual calling? What is it? It's describing what Jesus is doing here in this passage. It says, effectual calling is the work of God's spirit, whereby convicting us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills, he does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. Only God can do that. No preacher can do that. No evangelist can do that. We can present the message. We can say, Jesus says, follow me. We can say, repent and believe the gospel. Mark 1.15, but only the Spirit of God working through the Word of God brings dead sinners to life and draws them irresistibly to faith and repentance in the Savior. And God still does this very thing when the gospel is preached today. If you're a believer in Christ, maybe you've been a believer for decades and decades. Maybe you don't remember when you weren't a Christian. Maybe you were raised in the faith and you don't remember a day when you didn't know the Lord. If so, thank God for it. Thank God for that. Uh, but if you're a believer in Christ, why is that? Why, when you heard the gospel and believed him, believed in Christ, how did that happen? If you're following him, the entire direction of your life has been forever changed. But why? What explains that, not just with these disciples, the fishermen, but with you? How is it that you're sitting here, if you're a believer, believing and following Christ? How is that possible? It's only possible because the Spirit of God convicted you of your sin, opened your eyes to understand the gospel for the first time, whenever that may have been, renewed your will and persuaded and enabled you to embrace Christ by faith as he was freely offered to you in the gospel. If you believe it's not your own doing, it's only the grace of God that does that. And when you're being fishers of men, in whatever way that might be, whether it be sharing the good news with your neighbor, inviting someone to church where they can hear the gospel, uh, the Spirit of Christ still does the work of bringing sinners to faith in him. And it's only because of that that sinners who hear the call of Christ in the gospel actually will believe and his sheep will hear his voice and follow him even today. This still, what happens here in Mark chapter 1 still happens every day in this world. Where the gospel is preached, sinners come to life and have come to faith in Christ and follow him. They may not leave their job necessarily to do that. They don't geographically have someone to walk around and follow literally. But sinners will believe and follow Christ when the gospel is preached because of the power of the call of Jesus Christ still rings through the gospel and the scriptures today. His, his sheep hear his, they know, they know he knows them, they hear his voice, and they still follow him. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gospel. 
We thank you that the work of making disciples of all the nations, or even here in the little town of Ramona, that it's not dependent upon us. It's not dependent upon our wisdom or giftedness or ability to speak or or articulate your word or anything along those lines, that it's dependent only and only on the power of Jesus Christ, your son, in, in, in bringing dead sinners to life and convicting them of their sins and opening their eyes, opening the eyes of the blind. We pray that you would give us grace to believe this, to trust in this, to, to, to plant our flag upon it, and to preach the gospel, to offer Christ freely to all people, no matter who they are, no matter what kind of person they are, that you might be pleased to work through us, that we could see you opening the eyes of the blind when the gospel is preached that many sinners would come to a saving faith in your son, that they would leave their sin, would repent of their sins, and turn to your son by faith, and so have forgiveness and eternal life in his name. Give us grace to be following you as we ought to do, and make us, as you told the disciples as well, make us to become fishers of men, that Christ might make disciples through his church, and that he might receive all the glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.